a new podcast is born. You are all very welcome to this first ever edition of The Molyneux View with me, Jackie Oatley, and the all-knowing athletic correspondent for Wolverhampton Wanderers, Tim Spears. Hello. Good afternoon. Across the table from me, this is actually happening. What are we doing? What are we doing? Can you believe that? Let us do this. Can, <laughs> no. can you believe? We're just going to prattle on about Wolves for, for 40 minutes every week and they're, they're they're letting us record it and put it out, apparently. Well, we'll see about that. I mean, they've said we can. <laughs> By the time we've actually recorded it, might go, do you know what? That was a terrible idea. <laughs> this may never be heard. We never know. Well, let's come clean. Let's lay our cards on the table because normally when you're writing and I'm broadcasting, of course you're talking more about Wolves. And when I do, um, we don't really let it be known that we have golden blood running through our veins. I don't know, have you seen some of my goal tweets during matches? I mean, (laughs) I don't really come across as very neutral, I've got to say. Not so much neutral, but as in, we don't exactly have a black pom-pom in one hand and a gold one in the other hand. We kind of keep that behind closed doors, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's that fine line, isn't it, between supporting and backing the club. I make no secret of the fact I was a fan for for 20 years from a season ticket in the Steve Bull. Um, but obviously as as a journalist you've got to you've got to, you've got to have an air of neutrality and impartiality about you when it when it comes to reporting on stories and facts and things that are going on at the club of course. But on a match day, it's fine to get a bit carried away. <laughs> With your golden black socks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that just me? Okay, so where were you born? Uh New Cross Hospital. So was I. Brilliant. That's where the similarities end, unfortunately. <laughs> Let's not go into the dates. Um, what was your first Wolves game? First Wolves game, I'll never forget it, was November 91. Derby at home. Uh, we lost 3-2. I missed all the goals. There were five goals. I missed every single one. I, I, I just remember just, just gazing around the stadium and just trying to take it all in. I say stadium. The, 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 two the, stands yeah there. two stands so you can you, you, those are the days where you can look across and see um, Graham Turner on the scaffolding trying to get a perch to watch the watch the matches if people remember shows you how far Wolves have come doesn't it um, yeah we lost that game we lost the second game I went to as well but this I was, could literally be any season by the way <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have to be that season yeah but um, it, I was more just hooked by by the crowd really and just this concept of 15,000 men and women just shouting and cheering at guys kicking a ball around a field and drinking and singing and everything. It was just a bizarre concept. I was absolutely hooked from day one. It just happens to be Wolverhampton Wanderers. Where goodness. were you when you were in the John Island? Like yeah, miles John, away from the John Island, the lo- lower tier, which I think was the old family enclosure yeah. where my dad used to take me in. So my dad's a Stoke fan, actually. But luckily, he had um, he's, he's a retired GP. He had the option of moving for a job to Blackburn, Grimsby or Wolverhampton. And so I could have been supporting a Premier League winning team at some point. But no, but thankfully he chose Wolverhampton and uh, that was it. How, how about you? Mine was the season before it was September 1990. It was Wolves won, Bristol Rovers won. Ian Holloway scored. No way. <laughs> for Bristol Rovers. And uh, Robbie Dennison uh, scored for Wolves. And I remember thinking, well, this is brilliant. I mean, this was amazing I went with some lads from school and they turned to me and said what do you think I was like this is amazing and they went well it wasn't very good really but to me you know live football for the first time having watched it on tv and just just and it was again of course in I was in the south bank um 
standing up with lots of interesting smells <laughs> in those days and some of the antics of people who couldn't make it all the way to the toilet. Oh, that oh, was wow. lo- oh, it was lovely. It was lovely. Honestly, I loved every bit of it, even the smells, the atmosphere, because, of course, the South Bank was... I was in the choir right from the start. Brilliant. Like, no messing about. One bloke once said to me, shouldn't you be at the front with all the girls? And I just looked at him and said, what are you talking <laughs> about, man? This is where the fun is. I did go headlong, headfirst down the terrace once when uh, we had Sheffield Wednesday at home. They were about to get promoted, and the atmosphere was brilliant just in the South Bank, so I might add. We're like, I still loved it. We're the hardened supporters, because we, 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 we missed the bully glory years by a couple of years, right? So we had to sit through the, the 90s. Climbing through the, uh, the leagues, yeah, yeah, I missed those just. So we I had, was just championship forever. Yeah, so we had 13 years of underachievement, basically. Mm. But we was we stuck through it. Oh yeah, still love those bully girl. God, we could talk about this all day. We probably yeah, got this. Yeah. We've got a producer who's recording, looking at us as if like you're not just going to prattle on about your first games, <laughs> are you? We literally could, but we probably shouldn't. Um, and then one day you became a journalist. Did that happen straight away? Where did you train? What happened? Oh no, it didn't happen straight away. Well, I, I always sort of wanted to be a journalist and grew up um, reading the Express and Star, uh, the local paper in Wolverhampton, from from cover to cover, and. Went to uni, didn't really get involved, and then the the, the penny kind of dropped, and I studied at Wolverhampton College to get my NCTJ um, qualification, and then took work experience at the Express and Star from there, and then ended up dream job at the Express and Star for for ten years, um, covering news at first, so really kind of covered the patch um, in depth, and you know it's my it's my city, it's my paper, Was there for ten years, and then ended up joining. Um, the sports team in 2015 to cover Wolves and it's been a joy ever since it's been interesting ever since I mean, it's crazy really as you kind of say with my Wolves background and journalistic background just I'd be loving it if they're in the Evo Stick Premier Division do you know what I mean I'd, st- I'd still be the dream job but but to cover Wolves in this period is in possibly the most exciting or certainly one of the most interesting periods in the club's history I don't think you could argue with that so to be at the kind of forefront of reporting on it is um it's a privilege. Do you have any sympathy at all for David Instone, although he's <laughs> prattling around the country, mid-table, Championship Division 2, mediocrity in Division 1? It had yeah. various names, didn't it? But yeah, no, the answer is no sympathy whatsoever, I'm no. sure about that. But um, yeah, and then you got to cover Wolves. And Kenny Jackett was in charge at the time, right? Yeah, summer 2015, so just so a year before uh, Fosun came in. Very, very different club at that time. Uh, if I remember... the. <laughs> Kenny was a great character. I remember the first time I met him that summer, um, walked in to do an interview, I think it was July pre-season, and you know what Kenny's like. He's not really one to kind of chat and banter away from the microphone. So I just went in and shook his hand, and I was like, oh, hi, Kenny, I'm Tim from the Express and Star. Uh, nice to meet you. Did, did you have a good summer? And he thought he thought I'd started the interview. So he started talking about like pre-season training and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So... Um, yeah, it was a fascinating time. And then obviously a year later when Fosin came in and very, very close to appointing Julien Lopetegui as well at that time. And it's, it's kind of interesting looking back really a sort of a sliding doors moment because, you know, the day that Fosin bought the club, Lopetegui was was going to be the manager. You know, that, that was on that day, I think it was a Thursday in mid to late July. It was all going to be announced at the same time. Lopetegui's the manager, and Fosin had bought the club. And then he turns them down, literally, at, at, well, at the, what, with one to two hours left before this announcement was going to be made. And he's got the Spain job instead, which I don't think people can kind of blame him for doing in hindsight. But, well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was um, 
it's amazing to think what would, what would have happened if, if he'd have got that job um, that summer. And then again, a year later, it was, it was Nuno or Lambert. You know, that was that was the straight choice. Stop it. Um, what do you mean it was Nuno <laughs> or Lambert? Well, I think I think there's kind of a misconception that, that, that they were sacking Lambert and were looking for another manager. But for, from the way I, I understand it, you know, if Nuno had said no, they, they would have stuck with Lambert. Um, and who knows what would have happened since. So you but got, they did want Nuno. It wasn't as if they were thinking, yeah. should we stick with Lambert? No, very yeah, yeah. And obviously with mm. the George Mendes link and them being such good friends going back 20 years, um, they were hopeful of persuading him. But if he'd have turned them down, they, they would. They were happy with the job Lambert was doing at the time. So it's really interesting to kind of see all these um, sliding doors moments. Really, really. I think for, for most of us Wolves fans, we probably remember where we were when that tweet came through in my case, of notifications on my phone, about the Lopetegui yes, business. Yes. I remember I was outside Primark waiting for a bus in Kingston-upon-Thames and it was bright sunshine. And I looked at my phone and I was like, you're joking. You are actually yeah. joking yeah. he's taken the Spain job and just thinking where the heck do we go from here yeah, absolutely. And, and of course there's no way of knowing what would have happened there's no way of knowing we know eventually when Nuno came in after because people forget about that first season when it, it wasn't exactly yeah, all, all airbrushed from history yeah right, it really yeah. is you know the first Foson season it wasn't exactly all roses it was, was a bit it? of a disaster really they, they signed 13 players and didn't move up the table at all um, I remember I was, I was at Cork Airport when I, when I, when I saw the message about Lopetegui um, and I spoke to Kenny Jackett quite a lot around that time and obviously he, he was fully prepared that he was about to leave the club and then all of a sudden he's not but he knows that Fosun don't want him so that week before they then hired Zenga proper turmoil and he was still having to manage the team He was on pre- Sky Sports News wasn't he being asked about his future yeah, knowing that he, he was going and he had to keep absolutely. saying oh yeah yeah no nothing's changed yeah there was a friendly at Port Vale and then there was a friendly at Northampton where he didn't do interviews so that was a few days before Zenga so we kind of knew the writing was on the wall but um, crazy time looking back just tell us a little bit about how the club has changed we have obviously seen what's gone on on the pitch and the changes and the signings but that's all very much out there but what we really want from you Tim is your kind of insight from behind the scenes what's it been like seeing the way for example the media team has changed has grown I mean dear old Foz we miss him don't we how things have changed since his day um, unrecognisable really I mean obviously you've got to move with the times they're not they're not at the level of your kind of your top six clubs at the moment, but but they're getting there. That's where they want to get to. I mean the media team, um, I think it's up to ten now. It's sort of doubled in size in the past in the past year, maybe a little bit more. The marketing team that's doubled as well, and they, every team behind the scenes has the, the, the recruitment team as well, the ticketing team. It's all it's all taken off, but they have to. I think they've struggled um, as anyone would really to adapt to the pace of change of the team. You know the the team has soared from mid-table championship to seventh in the in the Premier League, and now looking like they might do the same again, and in Europe and everything. So the team off the field has got to keep pace with that, which is very very difficult. And and they are still playing catch up in a lot of respects. You know they, they'd admit that. But what I would say is that um, they don't they don't have that kind of air of um, superiority that you maybe get when when dealing with some some of the top six clubs um, certainly from a journalistic point of view they're very very helpful and um, wolves is a, is a is a fantastic news story and there are so many stories within that to tell and they are very happy and want to tell those stories so that's great from a journalistic point of view because you get access um to information and to people that you wouldn't necessarily do at clubs that they're kind of com- now competing with and that's huge, isn't it? That the characters, that the media managers, it's absolutely huge. I mean, I was speaking to a uh, a BBC commentator at a at a 
big club the other day and he was telling me what an absolute the um the comms in he's saying he's an absolute yeah, nightmare and yeah. this is a club he has to deal with all the time whereas we've got max fitzgerald who yeah. is very straight honest nice likable kind of bloke who was at west ham before uh, and bournemouth knows the job inside out knows what the media need and there's just no messing about is there it must be helpful for you very helpful max and then you've, you've got jack and josh who's been there a few years and mm. yanni they're, they're they're a great team to deal with and still very personable and it still still feels like a local club as well in, in that regard so that helps all of us like i said to kind of tell these stories and get this information out and provide you the listeners and and, and readers with um with the content that you, that you want Hmm. And, well, let's talk about where we are now. I mean, we've sort of whizzed through the last few years probably quicker than I, than I probably thought we would. But that's a good thing. There's so much to say. But we're sitting here just a couple of days after that extraordinary comeback at Southampton. And we were even texting at half time. I feel bad I was at my daughter's dance show. And, um, you know, 2 nil down and just got to the interval. And everyone's going, wasn't that wonderful? I was like, we're 2 nil down at Southampton. This is an absolute disaster. But, yes, the dancing's been great. And with a little AirPod in my ear. I was listening to Five Live the whole way through. Um, and then came the turnaround. I remember at half-time, we were saying, God, it's in cream crackers, you know, small squad and, you know, all these fixtures and the Man United business and having to play Raul. And suddenly they win the game. Do you think that 45 minutes and, and Nuno's tactical changes and the new formation that he put out there has suddenly banished this notion that Wolves are knackered? Yeah, I think it, I think it can be easy to confuse the two. You know, when a team plays badly, certainly one that's played as many matches as Wolves this season, it's easy, I think it's easy to say they're tired, they must be fatigued. Sometimes they just play badly, right? They're, you know, they, they play 50, they're going to play 55 matches minimum this season. They are going to play badly and they're going to have poor spells. I think it's easy to it's easy to confuse the two. They may well be a bit fatigued, but they certainly didn't look it in the second half. And I feel like that could be a real pivotal moment and result Um similar to the one we saw at Palace back in September when they were really struggling towards the bottom end of the table and with 10 men, Jota gets that last-minute equaliser and then they went on a ridiculous run where their only defeat was to Villa in the Carabao. Uh, soared up the table, sorted themselves out in Europe. Who knows what would have happened if, if they'd lost at Palace that day because, like I said, they were in a bit of trouble. And it felt after five winless games and 2 nil down at half-time and no new signings on the way as it stood on Saturday. You know, that's sort of changing now with wheels in motion on a couple of deals. But to get that win in the manner that they did um, has set them up. And now nobody's expecting them to beat Liverpool on Thursday, but it certainly gives them momentum and belief going into a tough period in February. Um, they'll be really buoyed by what they did and they now have the luxury of a bit of a rest, which fatigued or not will be will be very welcome. Um but yeah, you mentioned half time. Um a new formation. I mean we, we, we don't see new formations very often these days. It's always three four three or three five two. But from what I gather from speaking to Connor Cody afterwards, this is the first time that they've ever played a real three four one two, which is what you'd call it. They haven't practiced it on the training ground. But Nuno's idea at half-time was in particular to get Traore further up the pitch in central areas. I don't think Southampton's back to necessarily the quickest. And the decision to leave Neto in the hole was a bit of a masterstroke, really. I think it would be easy to go 3-5-2, which they've played extensively, and maybe brought Morgan Gibbs-White in or pushed Dendonka further up the field, maybe. Um, but no, he left Neto in the hole, and he looked good. 
he looked good. I mean, he's 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 a winger really by trade, but he looked good in central areas, popping up in 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 space. Obviously, scored his goal. Um, and Traore and Jimenez linked really well up front, which I think is something to contemplate in the coming weeks. And it's good to have a plan B. Nuno hinted on Friday that teams know how Wolves play. I think he was suggesting in my eyes that they look a bit, a little bit predictable and they need to... Well, he, he said they need to move things up a level. But for me, a change of formation and a change of approach is no bad thing. Wolves, the only kind of weakness you'd really... One of the few weaknesses you could level at Wolves in, in the past couple of seasons is that they have been predictable in their formation. You know how they're going to line up. So it's no bad thing that they've got a, a second formation up their sleeve now. And the emergence of Pedro Neto, pretty welcome in the absence of Jota and now Vinagra as well. He was pretty much the only... He's not even forward, is he? He's had to become a forward, left-sided kind of option off the bench, hasn't he? And now his injury at Manchester United. But ahead of that game against Liverpool, we say nobody's expecting them to beat them, but there will be an element of Wolves fans who's thinking, well, had they not had Man City at home just 45 hours, well, those 43 hours precisely in between the two games over Christmas, then they would have been maybe one of the favourites in this division to actually go to Liverpool and get something. Um but we all know what happened with VAR, blah, blah, blah. But after that comeback, do you think that boosts morale? That gives them a shot of adrenaline that they wouldn't have had? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that performance away at Liverpool, uh, one of my favourite performances of the season, actually, because Liverpool basically played their first 11. They'd had the luxury of an extra day um, rest in preparation. Wolves made four changes at Anfield against one of the best teams we've seen in Premier League history. And they should have got a point that day. They brought in Kilman, who marked Mo Salah out of the game. They brought in Vinagra, who did a job on Trent Alexander-Arnold and had the beating of him on several occasions. And you mentioned the VAR controversy, and they had chances late on. Vinagra, Saiz, Matinho. They could easily have got a point that day at Anfield. And I was so impressed with, with, with the way that they took them on. Looking ahead to Thursday, with a full-strength team, a full Molyneux, they will cause Liverpool problems. I don't think, I don't think anybody would, would doubt that. And Wolves don't get thrashed by anybody, and I don't envisage. I don't envisage Chelsea that. at home. The, well, yeah. <laughs> the last one I went to, are they? Oh uh, yeah, um, but it's very rare, and um, I, I think it'll be a tight game, and they'll give Liverpool a, a really good go. And as you say, boosted by that momentum from the weekend, perhaps an addition or two this week we're expecting as well. So suddenly, after after a lot of doom and gloom after that Man United game, think in the cup and Catroni leaving and no new sign is on the horizon all of a sudden that win a couple of players in and everything's looking hunky-dory again and maybe it's beneficial as well the fact that Triori having changed position in the second half against Southampton those Liverpool centre-halves maybe not quite so sure how exactly they're going to have to deal with him they'll have to wait and see a little bit it all helps doesn't it yeah absolutely um I mean he's the obvious danger man at the moment um I thought he was superb in the second half. And you, you saw with that winning goal, just A, that f- five Southampton players were chasing him. If you look at the replays, Jimenez kind of ghosts in at the, at the back stick unmarked, while five players, you look at the replays, they don't even, even look at Jimenez. They're all focused on Troy Ulrich. I've seen that a few times this season. He's, he's the ultimate kind of distraction tactic. and But then he has the presence of mind to stop um and look up for Jimenez, who then strokes in the winning goal. So he's 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 their X factor, um, and Liverpool won't. Th- th- there's no easy way to stop him. Liverpool won't relish that. 
And tell us about the new lads who just happened to have been um, signed or almost signed just as you walked through the door here. It's been a it's been a busy busy hour or so, Jackie. <laughs> it's not just great hoping timing, for like a it? nice kind of relaxing preparation time ahead of our first podcast after hardly any confirmed concrete links with players for the first twenty days of the month, and then one hour before we do this podcast, yeah, there's two, not just one, but two. So. Um, Nelson Oliveira is a player they've looked at before, a Portuguese striker playing for AEK Athens. He did okay for Norwich. Well, he had a couple of really good seasons at Norwich. Um, scored against Wolves at Molyneux, actually, in the Championship title winning season. So they've struggled. They've really struggled to find a striker who can play back up to Raul Jimenez and is willing to come and, and play that role, knowing that he's perhaps not going to get much game time. Maybe they've found someone in Oliveira there um, who would be willing to do that and maybe bide his time a bit more? Um, we've, I, I think it's a similar situation to, with Harry Kane at Spurs. You know, you know that he's the main man, and Jimenez doesn't just play in sixty-minute bursts either and comes off to be subbed. You know, he plays ninety minutes pretty much every week. So, which Catroni was obviously very frustrated with as well. So, they could have they could have found they could have found someone there. He, he won't be too expensive. Um, he's experienced. He knows the English leagues. Um, he's Portuguese, which helps, obviously. It's extraordinary that he's Portuguese. I mean, who'd have thought that? <laughs> he's, um, he's linked with George Mendes as well. No, no I, I way. Don't, I don't You're kidding. Heard, don't heard of that You're guy. joking. <laughs> Get out of town. Um, <laughs> as is Daniel Prodence from Olympiacos, who, um, by all accounts, um, put in a fantastic performance against Spurs earlier this season. Very pacey winger. Can play on the left or the right. 24. Um, he's got a decent, decent record in terms of goals formerly at Sporting, ticks all the Wolves boxes. Um, I, don't, I know it's a bit of a running joke about these Portuguese players coming in, but it helps them settle in so quickly because you've got six Portuguese staff, you've got six or seven Portuguese players. Um, they can all mix with each other off the field, speak the language, etc. We saw with Catroni the problems that he had. Only two Italian speakers at Compton Park, one of whom was, the, was one of the physio guys and one of whom was a cleaner. So... <laughs> So it's, so in terms of speak, it's just speaking it makes to people, a big difference, yeah, and he's come from yeah. Milan to Wolverhampton, which you know we we we, we both love Wolverhampton a lot, don't we, Jackie? But we do. compared to Milan, I'd take Wolverhampton. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say they're quite different. So Catroni maybe struggled to settle. Um, so so it, it helps definitely helps um, them hit the ground running. And I think but on the face of it, a couple of shrewd additions, mm. and then also Leonardo Campana as well from. Um, Barcelona in Ecuador so um, he's going to be probably in the under 23 setup. but again got decent potential again linked to George Mendes and we'll see how he does and of course these players people may not realise actually that a lot of the players and staff actually live very close to each other near the Compton training ground and this is huge isn't it because a lot of clubs you just bring a player in and they might stay miles away. I think it's only Adama Traore that lives in Birmingham. That's what I was told anyway. And so it really helps if the wives are socialising together. And that's one of the reasons why the players, you know, the Jotas, Neves type players haven't wanted to go anywhere because they're settled. And when family and kids are settled at school, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, of course. You know, that's the people. That's the thing that, that people kind of forget. I think if 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 you're happy in your home life, it makes such a difference to, to your work, to your job, which it is a job at the end of the day. And there's, I don't think there's any. There's no kind of set rule um, for them to live within a certain um, distance of, of the training ground, but they all do, as you say. They all they all they all socialise together. You see them all on their on their Instagram pages, etc. 
you hear stories of them popping up at Tesco Express every other day and whatnot. And Nuno, Nuno lives closely as well to Compton, so it de- it definitely helps. Um, it's a bit of a club within a club, the Portuguese setup, but it works for Wolves. But it's not cliquey though. You keep hearing that they're no. not those cliques. How did they manage that? By winning games, I think that's got to help, right? You know, the the, the team's so successful on the field. Um, from what I hear, it's it's a very close knit group, and you wouldn't say um, Cody and Jota are best mates, but but they all get on well with each other. Um, they're all having the time of their lives here as well, which helps. They're all trying to make a name for themselves, and they are making a name for themselves, and they all kind of buy into this this project. And it's um, certainly on the playing side, it's a very unified club. Let's go into a few uh, tweets that we've had. I've had quite a few in, and some really good ones as well. David Sutton asks, what's the main journalistic difference between working for the Express and Star and The Athletic? Uh, good question. Um, both kind of, you know, both both serve their kind of specific purposes. You know, local paper has got to cover everything. Um Every kind of cough and spit that comes out of the club, you know, will, will be reported in the Express and Star, and then you've got all your, your match reports and your player ratings and whatnot. So that's a very demanding job in terms of certainly in terms of quantity. You know, you're talking dozens of stories every week, non-stop. The Athletic is also non-stop and and, and very time-consuming, but in a different way. So we kind of approach it from a different angle to kind of tell the story behind the story, um, and be a bit bit, bit more in-depth and and tell stories at length. And you know, big interviews and, and big long reads, and try and give information that isn't really available elsewhere. And as I said earlier, there are so many kind of good stories to tell at Wolves at the moment. Lots of good stuff to get my teeth kind of stuck into. Um, but we're, we're given we're given time to to generate really insightful, hopefully, um, long reads on a, on a variety of subjects on and off the pitch at Wolves. James York's asked a few very good questions. Uh, does a small squad hinder or help recruitment? It certainly it certainly helps in terms of um, youth recruitment. So they can they can point to the likes of um, Max Kilman and Morgan Gibbs White and some of the other youngsters that that, we're, that we've seen involved this season and say, look, if you if you um, if you come to Wolves, there's a decent chance you'll be training with the first team, you know, because because the squad is so small and you've got to have your 22 players training on a, for 11 v 11s on Compton Park every day. So there's 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 a well Nuno will see them and notice them on the training pitch every day because Wolves have got such a senior squad they're always looking for kind of the next under twenty three to to help bolster that that first team squad so certainly certainly someone like Kilman I mean I know he only joined a year ago but he's already talked about when they're trying to sign youngsters look at what Max Kilman has done here you know you can do the same and Kilman's a bit older as well kind of twenty one twenty two. So, um, in terms of senior squad, I don't know, but definitely in terms of definitely in terms of youngsters, that they can say, look, you will get opportunities here, which is not the case at many Premier League clubs. Will Connor Cody ever get an England cap, and should Nuno play four at the back in a match one day just to showcase Cody's versatility? It's assumed he can't play in a four. Wrongly, in my view, he says. Yeah, um, I don't see why he can't play in a four. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, th- I think the role he's got at the moment is is completely tailor made f- for him and and his and his many attributes. I've never seen him in a four personally. I don't think he's played there since since his youth level, really, with um, with Liverpool now and again. So I don't see him getting in the England squad, unfortunately, until until Gareth Southgate changes his formation, which is a shame for him because he's he's earned it on his on his performances, I think, and he's he's a, 
Gareth Southgate has gone on record to say he's exactly the kind of person we, we would want in our England squad. He's exactly. Oh, I mean, you imagine goodness. going to a major tournament with the likes of Conor Cody in there. You can't have enough leaders, can you? He's brilliant because he's a leader and he's an authoritative figure. But you never get the impression at all that he thinks he's above other people and you know, kind of got that status. There's no airs and graces to him whatsoever. He's such a nice guy. And like I said, he's earned it, but I, I, I just don't see it happening. And nor do I see Nuno playing four at the back because they've never done it once in the in the two and a half years he's been here. I did speak to Gareth Southgate about it actually at a dinner at the end of last season and it, it was pretty clear it was purely because of the formation yeah. um, and he knows Conor Cody inside out from, from youth days and he's so thorough in his preparation you know, he watches all these games he knows what he can do but that's literally counted against him so far um, King Wolf 84 asks how do you think Wolves women will do for the rest of the season? They are flying, they're aren't they? Absolutely flying. Every, every time you see the results popping up, they're not just winning games; they're they're thrashing the opposition week after week. So, it's great to see. And um, so they're in the fourth tier at the moment. And if you, you'd expect six points clear with a game in hand, that promotion will be secured later in the season. Certainly, the way that they're going, um, which will put them up to the third tier. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you you're within within reach of the championship, and you're competing with far more established names than than the teams that they're playing against now. You know, the likes of West Brom and Stoke and Leicester, um, they will be playing against. So it's good to see. And from what I gather, you know, Wolves are, Wolves. The club are putting more of an effort into it this year in terms of offering resources, um, certainly in terms of things like medical support and tactical analysis and training as well, training at Compton Park. Um, still only a couple of sessions a week, but but lo- but longer sessions. Um, I think they play their games at Castlecroft, I'm right in saying. Um, so yeah, under Dan McNamara, they're, do- they're doing really, really well. And hopefully we see a bit of an upward curve and more resources put into it because... Um, you know, it's it's a little bit overdue, really, but you, you can see that happening now. So hopefully, in the next couple of years, that will really start to take off. Yeah, the opportunities are there in the women's game, aren't they? If the men's club really does get behind them, the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City—it's no secret that the best supported clubs, in terms of the one club um, situation, makes a huge difference. Jade Cross, by the way, scored a thirtieth goal yesterday in nineteen matches. Uh, a local girl as well. So, yeah, Castlecroft, get down there to support Wolves women. They are doing brilliantly now. This is almost the end of our very first pod Already? the Molly New View yeah not far off and if anybody would like to read Tim's articles I don't know why they would want to do that frankly but if they did want to then they can subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already um, if you use the um, discount code WolvesPod that's WolvesPod then you'll get 40% off and we will be with you wherever you pick up your podcast free of charge by the way either on The Athletic app um, or it will be free of charge on iTunes or anywhere else Tuesday morning, we're told at 5am. So if you're going to work Tuesday mornings, yeah, you, uh, have a little I listen. Think you've, you've got to press the button on that in the morning to publish it, if that's all right. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. be up set my alarm. <laughs> <laughs> I get it at five o'clock on Sundays now, so I might as well do it every other day of the week. Not at all. Um, thank you, Tim. Thank you. Should we do this every week? Shall we? If they let us. All right, then. Bye for now. Bye for now.